Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern-style worship and an on-time message from God's Word. This week, we continue our in-depth study into the book of Revelation by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. Go ahead and turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 10. The book of Revelation, chapter 10. Beginning in chapter 10, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 14, is another one of those interludes. It's a time whenever Jesus, as he's talking to John and revealing to John, as well as everybody who would read this revelation, he basically stops and, and says, in the midst of dismal circumstances, and there have been some dismal circumstances in the Word right now in chapter 8 and 9, weren't they? I mean, the blowing of the seven trumpets, there's catastrophic events that are happening on the earth and to the earth. There are demon activity. There's a mighty army of 200 million that's coming to fight. There's going to be an end of the world uh, war called Armageddon. All of those are bad words. In the midst of that, when it seems like old Satan is rampant, God stops and has an interlude, a point of information, a parenthesis. And what he wants us to know is this. He is still And forever, always in charge. Amen. God never relinquishes throne. He has never given over the enemy the ultimate authority. God is in charge. And he says to us as believers in the midst of dismal circumstances and what is going to happen for the redemption of this world to take place. He says, be encouraged. Be encouraged. It's the longest interlude in the Revelation from chapter 10, verse 1 through eleven fourteen. It's the longest interlude. And it happens between the blowing of the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. In chapter 11, verse 15, if you'll notice, that's the blowing of the seventh trumpet. So if you're trying to take it in chronological order, you have to go all the way from the end of chapter 9 to eleven fifteen, And that continues the story. From 10.1 to 11.14 is this information, this parentheses, this message that God has given to his children, this word of encouragement that he wants his children to hear and to grasp. In this interlude, there are two major things that are happening. He introduces us to another one of those mighty angels, and the angel has a little book. We'll talk about that today. The angel and the little book. And then in chapter 11, verses 1 through 14, he introduces us to the two witnesses. God has two miraculous witnesses who during the time, early part of the tribulation, are going to live here and going to be mighty witnesses. And we'll talk about who those are next week. Those are the two things that are covered in the interlude. Today, we want to talk about this angel and the little book. Look what it says in chapter 10, verse 1. And I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. Circle that word open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on land. And he cried out with a loud voice. As when a lion roars, and when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. 
And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven, making an oath, and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and the things in it, and the sea and the things in it, and there shall be delay no longer. You ought to underline that's very important. There shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he blows that trumpet, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. Underline that twice. (laughs) The mystery of God is finished as he preached or evangelized to his servants, the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go and take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he, gave, he said to me, take it and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And when I'd eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy, preach, proclaim again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Please leave your Bibles open as we look at the angel and the little book. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today. We know that a mind of a man can reach the mind of man, but it's the Spirit of God that reaches the heart. And today, Lord, we want you to speak to our hearts. We want to be transformed by your word. And we want to grab hold of some things that's going to help us, encourage us, and, and that we can build our faith upon. And, and Lord, help us also to understand the, the very essence of the revelation, of what the revelation does and how it's perceived by those who are saved and how it's perceived by those who are lost. And the very purpose of why we preach and teach this awesome book, the revelation, what the ultimate purpose of it is to bring people to Christ. Now, you have your will and your way in our study time now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I saw another mighty, strong angel. Some people think that this might be those same angels, because two other times he's introduced strong angels that come. But I really don't believe that it's it's the same angel because of the use of the word another. Another likened to, in the Greek it means another likened to, but not necessarily the same. So I believe this is another one of those angels. God has plenty of angels. And here's another angel who has a responsibility who's going to come and to carry out the work and the message of God. Some theologians believe that this is a picture of Jesus, that Jesus is in that angel. But I don't personally believe that. And the the, uh, interpreter of my text doesn't believe that because it's when it speaks to him in personal pronouns, it's always in small letters instead of big letters. I don't think this is Jesus, as I shared with you before a few weeks ago. Every time Jesus in the Revelation identifies himself, he always makes that clear who he is. He is the Lamb of God who has been slain. Or he always specifically makes clear. So I don't think that this is Jesus, even though it has some descriptions that certainly would fit Jesus. But I believe the description is basically helping us to know whose he is. Whose is the angel? Who is the one who sends him? And you know that by his description. The first thing I want you to see about the angel is his description. Look there in verse number one. This strong angel coming down out of heaven, he was first of all clothed with a cloud. He was clothed with a cloud. Did you know that God likes clouds? 
and, and that God chooses clouds to represent his presence. Whenever there was the moving of the tabernacle or the presence of God in the tabernacle, how was it that God symbolized his movement? It was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I personally believe that whenever Adam and Eve, based on what it says in the psalm, when Adam and Eve had not sinned, I don't think that they were necessarily naked. I think they were clothed in a cloud, which is the Shekinah glory of God. But you know what happened whenever they sinned? They lost the Shekinah glory of God. And they lost that cloud that was around them and that aura that was around them. And they realized they were just naked before God and before each other. A cloud is, represents the presence of God all throughout the scripture, that clouded. And so here's an angel who comes clothed and by his very nature, by his clothing, it symbolized this is an angel of holy God. Not only that, look what it says. And the rainbow was upon his head. Do you remember whenever we first introduced in chapter 4 about God and God was sitting on the throne? It said what was around that throne. You remember? A rainbow, a complete rainbow, not even in a semicircle, it was a complete circle because all things are complete in God. And there was this circular rainbow around God and it represented around that throne, representing the presence of God. It's just a symbolism of whose throne it is and therefore whenever that angel comes from that throne, carrying the message from that throne, he has that rainbow around him. It's kind of like those of us who are football fans. If you're a JSU fan or an Auburn fan or Alabama fan, it's getting that time of the year whenever you wear a shirt that identifies whose you are or who you pull for, right? Well, the rainbow of Almighty God, that rainbow signifies the covenant-keeping God, a covenant-keeping God who is always faithful to keep his covenants. And around the head of that angel was this rainbow saying again whose he is. Look what it says. Not only was a rainbow upon his head, his face was like the sun. Same description as Jesus. And his feet were like pillars of fire. Pillars of fire. So that's his description. That is a description of, a re- of an angel who comes to represent holy God, to carry on the holy God's business and to proclaim the message of holy God. Now I want you to notice next what his position is. Whenever he comes down, it says there in verse number two, he had in his hand a little book which was open and he placed his right foot on the sea and he placed his left foot where? On the land. I mean, that angel comes down, he comes down and he puts his feet on the, on the land and on the sea and by establishing that and by stepping on that, he lets everyone know that he is in charge. He is in charge. When he places his feet upon that land or the sea, it means that he is in control. Much like whenever God promised the children of Israel, he said, as y'all go into the promised land, every place that your foot trods, I have what? I have given to you already. But how did they symbolize the fact that they own that land? Because they placed their foot on the land. And whenever that angel comes and he places his foot on the land and on the sea, that encompasses all of the territory that makes up this world, right? Everything in this world is going to be either the earth, the land, or the sea. And it means that every aspect of this world, every aspect of this creation, all that God has, 
He comes and he's taking charge. And who does he represent? He represents Almighty God. Now think about that just a minute. We've been reading all about the trumpets blowing and old Satan has released the demons out of the abyss. And and now all of a sudden the angels over here on the Euphrates River have been set free. And they're rallying an army of 200 million to come and fight against God. It looks like that things have lost control. It looks like that, uh, that God must be somewhere hiding somewhere. But God comes in the midst of all that and God says, I'm still in charge. This is all moving according to my plan. This is all moving according to my path. I am ultimately and always in charge of this world that I created. I want to tell you that that comforts me. Amen. It comforts me not just in reading about the revelation. It comforts me when I'm going through things in life and I'm wondering what in the world is going on. And I'm glad to know that God's still in charge. He's never relinquished his throne and he's always watching over us and he's ultimately fulfilling his plan and his purpose. Well, that's, it says, is his position. He comes and stands on the land and stands on the sea. But listen to his voice. Verse 3. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. As when a lion roars. Who is it? Who is it that he's representing? He's representing God. He's also representing Jesus Christ, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, listen to what it says. And when he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, and when he cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. Now, you get this picture. Jesus is the, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Here comes this angel, and he's going to speak forth, and whenever he speaks forth, it sounds like a roaring lion. But there's somebody else in this world who considers himself a roaring lion. You remember who he is? Peter introduced him to us. He says, oh, Satan is like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Remember that? So old Satan is a roaring lion too, but, but here is, here's the great picture of this. Whenever the angel of God comes, representing almighty God, representing Jesus Christ, who's Lord of lords and king of kings, when this angel comes and he roars, it makes the roar of Satan sound like a pussycat. I mean, the roar of God is the roar of God. Amen. His roar is so mighty that it says there are seven peals of thunder that respond to his roar. And the seven peals of thunder, it's not just the idea of lightning bringing about the sound of thunder. And that can be loud sometimes. Have you ever been in your house whenever somebody, lightning hits close by you and thunder shakes your, your foundation of your house and it moves you? Have you ever heard that and clap over your head? It can be loud. But this is not the idea of lightning and thunder. This is the idea that the whole world reverberates. It reverberates from the voice of the angel. It is a response of the world to the voice of the angel. And it's seven times louder than anyone could imagine the peals of thunder to be. The world is responding. The world is reacting to the voice of the one who created it. And the one who is God over it. When old Satan roars, the world does not respond. 
the roar of God, the roar of the angel of God, makes a totally different response from the world. That's the voice of this angel. Not only that, though, listen to what it says happens to those seven peals of thunder. This, this is interesting. Put a star by it, verse 4. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write down what I'd heard. When a voice from heaven said, seal up the things which the seven pills of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Isn't it interesting that in this revelation, when God is making all things known, that has been a mystery throughout the ages, that even right here, whenever the seven pills of thunder, God says to John, now listen, what you just heard, don't write that down. Don't write that down. That's not to be revealed. Now, there's all kind of theologians who will spend page after page and chapter after chapter of telling us what that might have said, what God might have said. This is my opinion. If God didn't want John to know it, then I'm not going to spend any time trying to figure it out. Amen? I mean, none of us are going to know what it was, but we do know something. There was something still yet revealed, something some still unrevealed whenever God's giving the revelation. I don't know why that happened. You can ask God whenever you get to glory about that. But like I said, we don't know what he said. But isn't it interesting? He said, don't write that down. Don't write that down. Well, it comes to the next thing is what about the oath? The oath that this angel makes. Look at verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven. What do they, what do they require of us when we, when we have an oath? Raise your right hand and make an oath. Well, he's about to make an oath. He's about to make an oath. And when he makes that oath, listen to who he makes it by. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and things in it and the sea and things in it. Who is it that he promises by? Who is it that he swears by? Who is it that he says is the one who's going to stand by this promise? Almighty God. Almighty God. How, no one can be that except God. He lives forever and ever. Now, you and I, you and I are going to live forever. Did you know that? Amen? All right. I, bet I was created. God brought me into the world. When I got saved, I was given a life forever. And therefore, my future is a forever. But one thing about me, I am not forever and forever. What do you mean you're not forever? Because I had a beginning. I had a beginning. I have a forever out there. The end of my experience is going to be forever, but I had a beginning. Only God is forever and forever. Because God didn't have a beginning. He was forever. There was no beginning with God. And there's only one who qualifies for that. That is Almighty God. Everything else has been created by God, right? There's only one who is forever and ever, and that is Almighty God. And not only is he qualifying the fact he's forever and forever, but he also says he's the one who created everything there is. He created the heavens and everything in it. Any minuscule thing God created. He created the earth and everything in it. He created the sea and everything in it. Can you find any domain, any place, any existence that God has it covered when he talks about that he created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in it. He's the creator of everything. And only one who's qualified for that, that's God. 
Let me put a little side note right there too. Remember he created everything. The angel who's standing, the mighty angel, the roaring lion voiced angel is standing with his hand, standing before almighty God, proclaiming to the whole world, God created everything. So before you start backing up and figuring out how all this happened by big bangs and everything else and the accident that took place in the cosmos years and billions of years ago, before you ever start trying to figure that out, remember this, that you are facing and you're standing against an angel who's making an oath that God Almighty created it all. Amen. He created it all. And do not be intimidated by the fact that you hold to that. I'm going to be on the angel's side anytime. Bless God. Amen. I want to be on his side. And God created all that there is. Don't ever find yourself on the opposite side of that. The angel says he created it all. Well, then he makes a promise. He makes a promise. He's standing there. He's making this oath. This is all before God. This is based on the very character of God, what he's about to say. And here's the oath. Look what it says there in verse uh, verse 6, very last part. He says, that there shall be delay no longer. There shall be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. Now that seventh angel is about to blow his horn in chapter 11, verse 15. In the the time of the blowing of the seventh trumpet, he says this, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, here it is, then the mystery of God is finished. The mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. What in the world does that mean? What does that mean? There will be delay no longer. And in the blowing of the seventh trumpet, the mystery of God will not delay, but will be fully revealed. What is he talking about? Well, the mystery of God is everything about creation, existence, relationship with God, all those kinds of things that we do not understand. That we do not understand. Some basic principles like this. Why does evil exist? You ever thought about that? Why does evil exist? Why is there evil? Now, you can't tell me that if you've thought at all, you haven't wondered about that. Why did God create Lucifer if he knows everything? Why did evil come about? Or in the sense of this is, why has God delayed? Why hadn't he taken care of old Satan a long time ago? You ever wondered about that? Why is he not taking care of Satan a long time ago? Why is it that people suffer? You have questions in your own heart, in your own life. I don't know why this happened to me. I don't know why this happened to my family. I don't know why they went through it. All these questions that you have, all these things that you're seeking for, wondering, wanting to know what it says when he blows that seventh trumpet and he comes and he sounds that seventh trumpet, all the mysteries of God will be revealed. When you get to glory, my friend, you're going to know. You're going to understand what God does. 
You're going to understand why God moves. You're going to understand why the delay happened, why God waited so long seemingly to us to bring about the redemption of the world, why he took that long to come. We're going to understand all of that, but here's the great promise. When he blows a seventh trumpet, there will be no delay any longer. At that point in time, all the mystery of God will be known. I quoted W.A. Crystal a few weeks ago, maybe last week. He's a, he was a prince of preachers. And, and he wrote about the delay and the mystery of God. I want to read that to you. Nobody can say it like he said it. Oh, the mystery of the delay of God. That mystery has brought, brought more stumbling to the faith of God's people than any other experience in all of life. The infidel, the atheist, the agnostic, and the unbeliever laugh and mock us. And God lets them mock and laugh. The enemies of righteousness and the enemies of all that we hold dear rise, increase in power, and spread blood and darkness over the face of the earth. And we wonder where God is. Our missionaries are slain. Our churches are burned to the ground. People in this earth by uncounted millions and millions are oppressed, living in despair. And God just looks. He seemingly does not intervene. He does not say anything and he does not move. Sin just develops. It goes on and on. Oh, the mystery of the delay of the Lord God. But somewhere beyond the starry sky, there stands a herald angel with a trumpet in his hand. And by the decree of the Lord God Almighty, there's a day, there's an hour, there's a moment, there's an elected time when that angel shall sound and the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, the mystery of God shall be finished. The forbearance and long suffering of God shall end. God shall say to death, This is your last victim. Amen? That's good. God shall say to death, this is your last victim. God shall say to Satan, this is your last destruction. God shall say to evil, this is your last effort. God shall say to sin, this is your last waste and damnation. Evil broad as the river Euphrates rolls to a vast sea of corruption and every departure from God is a tributary to it. Every generation receives from the generation before it these awful and terrible inheritance of iniquity. We pass its judgment on to our children and to our children's children. Is the flood tide to go on forever? Is sin to reign forever? Is death to reign forever? Is the grave to be filled forever? No, says the Lord, there is a barrier. There is a boundary. There is a dike beyond which... Which and over which the flood tides of iniquity shall not roll. Evil ripens to the harvest of the inevitable reaping. God says in the days of the sounding of the voice of the seventh angel, Satan and all his works shall be overthrown, and the kingdom of this world shall become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Bless God. Amen. <laughs> Whenever he blows that seventh trumpet, 
The mystery of God will be answered fully. The delay will be no more. We will understand. We will have the mind of Christ. And we will say with God a glorious amen and hallelujah. You know best. And we trust you. What a wonderful time. And therefore, friend, when you face in your life those mysteries and you don't know why it works out and you can't grasp what God is doing, just by faith claim that one day I will know. One day I will know. I might not know here, but one day I'm going to know. And one day I'm going to understand. And one day I'm going to see that God is always good. And he's always in charge. And what he's done in and through me that I don't understand It's ultimately good for his glory. And I will know fully one day. Not today. But one day when that trumpet blows, we will know fully. Well, he doesn't only make this promise about about the end times and about the mystery of God. He also has something in his hand. Up there in verse number two, it says, And he had in his hand a little book. Which was open. Now, I had to circle the word open because it literally means in the Greek language, which had been opened. A little book which had been opened. Which gives the idea that it had been a little book that had been what? Sealed or closed. Well, we were introduced to a book a few chapters ago. It was a seven sealed book, wasn't it? A seven-sealed book that no one could open except when the Lamb of God came. And the Lamb of God came and he opened all seven of those seals. The seventh seal introduced the seven trumpets, which we're in right now. And so all of those seven seals have been opened. So I, like many theologians, I believe that this little book is actually that little book, the plan of redemption, the revelation is now been opened and the angel has it in his hand. That little book that had been sealed that the, that the Lamb of God had opened has now been opened and the angel has it in his hand. Look what God says to John. Verse number eight or seven. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound that mystery is finished, as he preached to his servants, the prophets. And the voice which I heard from heaven... I heard again speaking with me saying, go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, you have to take it and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. This little book, the book of the revelation The book of what God's going to do and how God's going to bring the ultimate redemption of all of his creation. And the angel said, the voice said, take that, take that out of the angel's hand. And John goes up there and takes it out of the hand. But when he takes it out of his hand, he gets the instruction. You're not just to have this book. You're to take and to eat this book. 
Now, in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah was told to eat the scripture. Ezekiel in chapters 1 and 2 was told that you're to take and eat the scripture. Matter of fact, he told, it was told to Ezekiel the very same thing. It's going to be sweet in your mouth, but bitter to your, to your stomach. And, and the very same thing Ezekiel was told is what John was told. You take this book and you are ingest it. In other words, you're to take this book and not just carry this book around, but you're to take and you're to understand this book. You're to ingest this book. It's become a part of you. You're to taste it and eat it and experience it. That's what the revelation is. It's something we're supposed to take and grasp and understand and think about and ingest into our heart, into our mind, and as best we can come to understand what this book says. And whenever you do that, do you know what we find out? I found this already in the Revelation. And that is, there's some of the sweetest things that you'll ever read in all of Scripture. Some of the greatest doxologies and praise of Almighty God. Some of the most wonderful truths about the future and the rewards of what God is going to do for His saints. It is glorious. It is wonderful and an encouragement to every child of God who will read it. But... At the same time, it describes some of the most horrible, horrendous events that are going to take place in human history as the redemption of God, the setting aside of the usurper, battling of Satan and his demons, and the taking back of that lost treasure of creation. It describes some of the most horrendous experiences we could ever imagine. So what did he say to John? John, John whenever, whenever you take this, it's going to be sweet to your taste. But as you begin to understand it and you see, it's going to be bitter in your stomach. It is both joyful and heartbreaking. It is both encouraging and fearful. That's the revelation. But you are to take it, read it, grasp it, and understand it. Therefore, it's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for us to say, well, I tell you, the revelation is just hard to understand. I'm not going to read it. I've, I've met people like, you know, I don't spend any time in revelation because I, I don't understand it. That's not enough. That's, that's no excuse. We need to be in that word. We need to be wrestling with that word and grasping that word. And it is hard and it is difficult. I'm going to tell you, when I finish this year of the Revelation, I'm going to take a month off. It wears you out. It's like putting a puzzle together on the backside. And trying to get all these things and tie all of this scripture together. It, it is tiring. It is tiring. But it is necessary. Amen. And it's necessary because God says there's a purpose and there's a reason. What is the reason we preach the revelation? Not only to encourage us about our our future, that's going to happen anyway. Amen? But the real purpose of preaching the revelation is that some person who is outside of the family of God and never tasted the kindness of God and never been saved and are facing an eternity away from God in a place called hell are facing those days of tribulation. It is to warn them, you must be saved. You must be saved. And that's what he said to John, the very last thing. And they said to me, you must go preach. You must go prophesy. 
You must tell every people and every nation and every tongue and every king. You've got to tell anybody and everybody the story of the revelation so they might be saved. That they might be saved. And that's why we preach it. Not so much to encourage us of what we're going to have one day. Somebody said a few weeks ago, said, Brother Mac, why don't you just forget all this stuff and get over there in Revelation 21 and 22 where we're in heaven and you heaven, you earth. Let's get over there all that good stuff. We will get to the good stuff, but this stuff is that somebody might be saved. Some heart might be changed. God would get a hold of us and realize that now is the day of salvation and we need to tell somebody. We need to tell somebody. That person we love, that person we work beside, that person who's our neighbor. We need to tell somebody that it's true and it's coming. But they don't have to face it if they'll only give their heart to Jesus. If they'll only give their heart to Jesus. So just like John, I believe we've been called to take and to eat of that word. To understand that word, to be changed and challenged by that word. And to share and proclaim that word to other people. To other people. That they might be saved. I'm glad he gave us this interlude. Amen. We needed a word of encouragement. Amen. I did. I get tired of getting beat up all the time. Amen. I get tired of all the tough and hard stuff. That's tiring. And God knew that. He said, well, I better give them a breath. Let me tell them something. I'm still in charge. I'm still in charge. And all those questions you have... Just hang on. Because when the trumpet blows, you're going to understand it all. And it's all going to be good. But for now, take in my word. Understand it. It's sweet, but bitter. It's sweet, but bitter. And proclaim it. Tell someone. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.